Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. Bailey Boo, The Blind Cockapoo. It's the new book in stores now, written by Terry Cole. And we're going to talk all about this book. Terry is right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Welcome to the show, Terry. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to have you. It is so exciting when you get a book out there for people. Bailey Boo, The Blind Cockapoo. Can you tell me what readers can find here? You know, just a little bit of a background. I work with children that are struggling readers and have some sort of disability or something that's, you know, making them a little bit different and stand out. And Bailey is actually our cockapoo who's blind. And it's amazing how you can just see somebody with a disability, whether it's an animal or a person, how they adapt and how they get along. In this book, Bailey's feeling a little down about herself since she can't see anymore and doesn't feel useful. And her friends get on board to show her exactly how useful she is. Hmm. What sorts of readers did you have in mind for this? I take it it's a children's book, of course, but what age range were you thinking of? Like one to three, one to four. So what inspired you to actually sit down and and start writing this book? What fueled this fire in you? I love any sort of creative outlet, whether it's writing or, you know, anything. I also make glass beads. I love anything that's a creative outlet. And like I said, it was just kind of the work with the kids that I saw and the ones that struggle and how they feel like they become accepted with their disability and just kind of transferred it over to a cute dog that a young child could relate to, whether they had a disability or not. They can just see that everybody has something to contribute. Uh, What does your writing background look like, Terry? Have you ever done anything like this before? No, I have not. (laughs) (laughs) I have not. I've My writing background includes healthcare policies and procedures. (laughs) Very dry material. (laughs) (laughs) So making that jump from that clinical nonfiction that you've been working with for so long into the world of fiction, into kids' writing, was that a big jump for you? How tough was that for you? It was a big jump. I don't know that I would have called it tough. You know, that age range for kids, you don't want to be wordy. You know, because half the time, I don't know if you've read a book to a very, very young child, but by the time you're on the third word, they're pulling at the pages and flipping (laughs) it. And so you you don't want to sit there, you know, writing war piece that, you know, in a children's book like that. That was probably the biggest challenge. I just didn't want to be wordy. I wanted the book to be entertaining, quick to read, and they could sit through it. You mentioned that visual element, the illustrations, it really has to connect with the story that you're telling. How did that process go for you? Well, actually, the the illustrator that I worked with did a really, did a fantastic job. I mean, that person wanted to know what I was looking for as far as the appearance of Bailey. And I, I kept Bailey kind of true to life here at home. And a lot of the things that happened in that book, even with the Mr. Bird, our parakeet, Mr. Bird did talk and said that, what you doing, doing, doing. So 
a lot of the things that happened in the book really happened here at home. So doing that part with the illustration was actually a lot easier because I was pulling from what I already knew. And when that day finally came for you, Terry, and you got the mail, you opened up the box, and there was that first copy of this book, and you got to touch it and feel it, hold this thing for the first time. What was that moment like for you? Oh, my gosh, it was so exciting. You know, I mean, I'm assuming, you know, I think it's a great story. I think it's great for kids. You know, I've got wonderful friends and family that support. So I knew everybody was going to be excited for me. It'll really hit home if I actually see people wanting that book or to read it to their child or their grandchild. And Mm -hmm. I did have one person reach out and it was a baby shower gift. So that was incredible too. That was really cool. What are the chances that we'll see more adventures from Bailey Boo? Do you think of a sequel? (laughs) You know what? Yes. My kids, when they realized Mr. Bird and everybody was in it, they said, oh, my gosh, you got to keep going. (laughs) But yes, it would be fun. I'm, I'm hoping that there's another one to come along. Well, what a wonderful book. I encourage my listeners to check this out. It's titled Bailey Boo, The Blind Cockapoo. It's written by Terry Cole. It's published by Fulton Books. And you can find it everywhere, like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Terry, it's been great having you on the show, learning all about Bailey Boo. Thanks so much again for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'd like to welcome back to the Reader House Author Roundtable, author Mark Ira Krausman. Mark, thanks for being here again. It's great to talk with you. Yeah, thank you for having me, Corey. Absolutely. I was really excited to talk with you again. You got a sequel to the first book we talked about. This one's Penelope's Plateau of Life and the View of Love of Look. Mark, what's in this one? Well, you know, the first book was A Day in a Life, and that was Lord knows that little bird friend of mine, if you remember. Mm. They were very young children. The second book is the sequel, and it's The Life Lived. You know, people ask me about the title. Penelope's platform of life and the view of love of look. You know, there's many lessons in life, and sometimes those lessons can be hard. And so, you know, for our listeners, Penelope's plateau of life, is, I think there's, there's a point in life, you know, where you have to make the right decision. You have that choice, you know, and that will come again and again and again. The view, you know, really is that decision you made that follows. You know, love has a look to it, Corey. They always want to be that loving look. And so that decision that the plateau, wherever you may be in life, if you make the right decision, you take a step back and take a deep breath. You know, the view that you will take in will be the view that you are to have. And so to my readers, that is what my second book is truly all about. How long after the first one did you start on this one? Was this just a natural progression? Yeah, you know, as soon as... I've been writing for about three years straight, and as soon as you finish one and it goes to editing and through illustration, or you're on the second one, you know, because it's just the path that you walk on. It's all in transition. I'm very, very blessed to have accomplished this. You know, of course, I don't do it alone. I, I believe that, you know, the Holy Spirit guides you to do these things, of course. What kinds of readers do you have in mind for these books, Mark? You know, I'm excited to tell everyone, Corey, that part of being out in all brick and mortar stores and things, you know, there's a genre of the people that you want to attract. But my writings, you know, really are for children. And, you know, 14, the second book had progressed where the main characters went through high school. But I think all people can take 
something away from this. And uh, I'm about 14 to 16 in that area from 8, 7, 8 to 16, I would think. But everybody can take something away from what I write. Hmm. What are the chances, Mark, that this will be a trilogy? Have you thought of another sequel? No. We've already moved on to another book now. The release of the Penelope's Plateau of Life and the View of Love of Look, we're on the verge of that. But mm. I have already written my third, Corey. That's in editing and illustration now. And I have already really thought of the fourth one. So we're just moving forward. Well, that's wonderful. You're awful productive. Do you ever run out of ideas? No, as a matter <laughs> of fact. I think what I run out of, like a lot of people in life, is time, you know? <laughs> So many ideas, so little time. Yeah. And does it get old for you, Mark, whenever you get that first copy in of that book you've been working so long and hard on and you get to hold it? I mean, what's that feeling like? Well, it's just a tremendous accomplishment because, like I said, it's a calling. Anybody who has a passion in life, you know, being a painter or a sculptor, you know, you have a vision. And there's really nothing more rewarding than seeing the fruits of your labor. And this just so happens that it really isn't about myself. It's about doing this for our readers, and I believe that I'm doing this for the Lord, you know. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to the publishing end of things, there are a lot of hoops you've got to jump through that maybe a lot of authors who are starting out aren't quite aware of. What advice would you offer? Are there any warnings you could give to authors who might not be fully aware of what they're getting into when they get into the publishing thing? You just have to be patient. These things take time. Mm-hmm. You submit your manuscript, of course, it comes back and you you look at the editing and you see where you made some mistakes, they give you suggestions and just be patient and eventually it'll all all unfold for you. But be happy and humble because it is such a blessing to to do what your passion is, you know. Indeed it is. I think readers are going to love this book. I encourage everyone to check this out and the first one as well. This one's called Penelope's Plateau of Life and the View of Love of Look. It's written by Mark Ira Krausman. Of course, you can get it everywhere, like at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, traditional brick-and-mortar stores, everywhere. Mark, thanks again for joining me again here and telling me about your work. I can't wait till we can do this again. Thank you so much, Corey, for having me. The last time I spoke with this author at the Reader House Author Roundtable, we talked about the mysteries of the T-Rock Garden. Of course, that was George III. And now we have a sequel out in stores, Book 2, The Mysteries of the T-Rock Garden. George III, the pen name for Patsy, is right here with me now, and we're going to talk all about it. Patsy, welcome back to the show. Thanks for coming back on. Yes, you're welcome. Glad to be here. Well, I'm glad that you're back, and I'm really glad that you have a sequel out, Mysteries of the T-Rock Garden, Book 2. So, Patsy, can you tell me about this one? Yes. Well, in writing the first book... It was sort of the story that was generated through, I don't know if you remember this, but it was generated through my granddaughter being here some, and it was on the heels of COVID lockdown for a couple of weeks. And so during that time, I had my granddaughter and a couple of other grandchildren, my other granddaughter and a grandson who visited, and then an area friend. And in the process, we just kind of talked together about some of the things that were in the first book, and that's what sort of caused the second book to come about. So I just went a little further with the introduction of the same fairies and the crows. The crows made things difficult in this book for the little fairies, and then the fairies always reverted back 
to a passage of scripture that would give them strength and courage to continue on in their little jobs in the Tea Rock Garden. Patsy, remind me, what sorts of readers were you speaking with here? About eight, nine-year-olds. So young children, but not so young that they can't read it themselves. They can actually read it themselves. Did book two take you longer or shorter than the first one? Do you find it getting easier as you go? Yes. Actually, I learned a great deal writing the first book when it's written for children. You can't, I learned that you cannot have a great deal of printed matter without pictures mm. every so often and quite more often than, than <laughs> not. So I tried to make sure that there is a picture at least going with almost every page of writing so that they have a picture to look at while they're reading. Mm. So we have the first one. We got book two. What are the chances, Patsy, we'll see book three? Well, I did map out the thought of book three, so I have that in the back of my mind. But, you know, I'm just not sure I'm going to get to it in any kind of a hurried-up fashion. I may change my mind. I've had some other thoughts about what I might like to write, but definitely I have an outline for book three. I'll say that. That's wonderful. Yes. And the part I think that I enjoy the most is to remind young people that it's very natural and normal to have imagination. And imagination is part of being a kid and growing up. And if you don't have an imagination, you later on in life probably won't have great ability to vision a future. And so kids today are sort of being robbed of the idea of imagination. They're being taken very seriously as little children instead of allowing them to have their imagination, but reminding them that they're pretending and that they're playing. And I found that very satisfying to watch the kids assimilate that information and know exactly that this is an imaginary world and it's fun to play, it's fun to do those things, but then they also recognize reality. And that's the most important part of helping a child grow up is to help them to realize that Yes, imagination is fun, but reality is still out there. So we help them to grow through that time and have a lot of fun doing it. What an important message, Patsy. I love that. You know, it's okay to let your mind wander. It's okay to be dreaming up things, and it's healthy. you got to exercise that yeah. imagination muscle or else you just won't have it anymore. That's right. And it's helpful to know that kids love to play in make-believe world, and they definitely can understand the difference between make-believe and reality. Mm. And if you ever take that away from them, they get all confused and mixed up. So it, it really has been a fun venture. Does it ever get old for you, Patsy, when you get that first book in and you get to actually hold this thing for the first time that you were working on? No, it never gets old. <laughs> it is always fun to see the finished product. Well, I love the message in this book. I think everyone out there ought to check this out. The Mysteries of the T-Rock Garden, Book 2, written by George Three and published by Christian Faith Publishing. Of course, pick it up anywhere. Go to Amazon, go to Barnes & Noble, go to iTunes, or walk down the street to your local bookshop and you'll find it. Patsy, thank you so much for coming on the show again and telling me about Book 2. I really hope Book 3 is on its way and we get to do this again. All right. Well, thank you very much. The book I have here now is full of stories that harken back to a simpler time. It's called Back on the Farm, Volume 1 and 2. It's written by Harold W. Sullivan, and Harold's daughter, Sandra Sowards, is here with me now. She published the book after Harold passed away. Sandra, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here with me tonight. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Sandra, can you tell me about what's in this book and how it came about that you published this? 
Well, Dad wrote these stories when he retired to his grandchildren. There ultimately were 176 of them, and he wrote them to tell them about how life was when he was a kid. And so after he died, these stories continue to be a big part of his life, even after he wrote them to the grandchildren. And after he died, I assembled them and published them because I wanted the stories to live on because they're so good. He was a wonderful storyteller. So your father wrote these for the grandchildren. So would you call this a children's book? No, no. It's just about life back on the farm during the Depression era, and it's told through his childhood experiences. This book is kind of for people that love nostalgia, you know, fans of the Waltons, fans of Little House on the Prairie type thing. It just speaks of a simpler time in life, and it kind of educates you along the way about what life looks like during the Depression, too. I love it. How long of an adventure was this for you, to get all these stories, put them together, get them formatted, and get them out there? Oh, it was a lot longer than I thought it would be. (laughs) After he died, I retyped them all, which took me longer than it really should have, because after a point, I just got tired of it and (laughs) do it off and on. But it, it probably took me a year to get them all typed. And then I submitted them to the publisher, and they accepted the manuscript on the first time around. And then it took probably another year to get everything book on the shelf. Hmm. Have you ever done anything like this before when it comes to the whole publishing thing? Oh, no. And then when that day finally came, it must have been really special for you, Sandra. That first copy comes in the mail. You get to pick it up out of the box and hold it. You were working on this for so long, and these are your dad's stories. What was that like? Oh, very much so. I have a picture on my phone of the box that I opened and a picture of the books in that box. It was a tremendous feeling of accomplishment and really the fulfillment of a dream. I had known probably even before he died that I wanted to do this to preserve the stories and to finally have a project that took so long and I had so much invested in it to be something I could hold in my hands. It was a great day. And now that you've gone through that for the first time, it can be quite the learning experience. Do you have any advice for people out there who are going to do the same thing? Well, I would just say take your manuscript, put your heart into it, and submit it to a publisher. You just never know what's going to happen. When I started this project, my intent was just to self-publish and print some copies and give them to the grandchildren. I wanted all the grandchildren to have a copy. And when I researched that online, I kind of got connected with a publisher who called and said, oh, no, we don't do printing. But, hey, submit the manuscript to me when you're done. And you just never know. I'm like, seriously, you think everybody would want to read this? (laughs) And she said, oh, yeah, you never know. And they just gobbled it up. Now, something that's really important about books, and you you don't always think about it when you're writing it, is what's this book going to look like? It it needs a cover. You know, it needs something that's going to appeal to people. When it came to picking a cover for this book, Sandra, what was that process like? Well, we had quite a few pictures of my grandmother's farm, which is where all the stories are told from. My sister took the picture that's on the cover, and we decided it was one of our favorites, and so she took that picture. Hmm. Were there people that helped you out along the way? You know, this is certainly something that is really hard for one person to do alone. Did you have support? Oh, yes. My daughter, my husband, and my sister, all three, helped me proofread the book before we sent it to the publisher. And a book of this size, they're just trying to get all the errors out of it. It's an endless process. I really thought when we sent it to them that we, like, had all the errors out. Oh, no. That was laughable (laughs) that we had that many errors out. But they certainly did give it their best effort. And I would finish the section, and two different people would read it, and we'd go on like that. So, yeah, I had a lot of help. Mm, 
that's fantastic. Well, if you're like me and you find yourself nostalgic for a simpler time, then you should definitely check this book out. It's titled Back on the Farm, Volume 1 and 2. It's written by Harold W. Sullivan and is published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find it everywhere. Find it on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Sandra, I really appreciate you coming on the show and telling me about your dad and his stories and his writings. I really enjoyed our time. Thank you so much. Sitting right next to me now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Julie Bill. Julie, welcome to the show. I really appreciate you being here tonight. Thank you, Corey. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I'm excited because you got a new book out. It's called Monk and Little Monk's Jungle Adventure. So, Julie, can you tell me all about this? Sure, I would be happy to. My book is called Monk and Little Monk's Jungle Adventure. Uh, This is actually my newest book. It's second in my series of children's books. And this book is about two little monkeys, Monk and Little Monk. And these two little monkeys were brothers, and they lived in the jungle with their mama. And they were the best little monkeys ever until, well, let me kind of set the stage for you, Corey. Deep down in the jungle lived these two sweet, kind little monkeys, and they loved their mother, and they always listened to her. They were supposed to be going to school, but this is where they made the biggest mistake of their lives. Also, along the way, you'll get to meet a cast of critters including a teeny tiny giraffe, a big gray elephant, a beautiful jungle parrot, and last but not least, a handsome Bengal tiger. And it all started that one Friday morning. Well, I don't want to give too much of it away, (laughs) but my book is full of excitement and love, suspense, and friendship. Wow, I love it. Where did the idea for this come from? What inspired you to write the story? Well, actually, my very best friend in the whole world, she has a Thai beanie baby. It's a little monkey, and she named him Little. Well, Little has been with Leslie for over 27 years, and Little has been with Leslie during the best times in her life and the worst times. Actually, it was times where she thought she couldn't endure. It included a fire that burned down her house Mm -hmm. and also when her daddy died, and it devastated her because her daddy was her rock. Mm -hmm. Well, Little has been all over the world with Leslie, and Leslie's taken thousands of pictures of Little. (laughs) Well, one evening, Leslie, Little, and I, we were having dinner at a local restaurant, and of course, Little was sitting there all cute as ever, and Leslie was taking pictures of him. Well, suddenly, this wave came over me. I really can't explain it, Corey, but at that point, I had to find out more about the relationship. So I started talking to Leslie. Well, when we left the restaurant, I got in my car on the way home. I couldn't stop thinking about Little. I got home, went to bed. Little was still on my mind. And I got up early the next morning and was drinking coffee and sitting at my computer. And I thought, you know, Little's got a story to tell. Well, before long, that's what happened. (laughs) And I gave Little a brother. And I soon named them Monk and Little Monk and put them in a jungle. And that is how the whole story started. And before long, I had this intriguing little story about two monkeys. So this is the second book in the series, Julie. What are the chances this will be a trilogy or we'll see even more? Oh, very great chance. (laughs) I already have two books nearly completed and another storybook in the works. So, yes, you're going to be seeing more of my children's books for sure. 
And then that day finally comes, Julie, you get the mail, you have a box, you open up the box, and there's a first copy of the book. I mean, there's a book, the physical thing that has your name on the cover that you worked on. What was that like for you? Oh, my gosh, Corey, it was so amazing. (laughs) I did not know what to do. I mean, I was just thrilled to death because, like I said, I never thought in a million years I would ever write a book. And here it was right in front of me. I mean, it was to the point where I I didn't know whether to just keep laughing or to cry. I was so excited. (laughs) But it was one of the most amazing days of my life when I opened up that box. Julie, so many people listening to us right now are authors who are just starting out. Do you have any advice, any words of wisdom, anything that you've learned along the way that you could pass on? Sure. I had never written a book, never even thought about it. But if it's something you want to do, face your fears, do it, try it. You're never going to know until you do try. Whatever it is, do what you enjoy, what you love, and make it happen. Well, I think readers are really going to love this story, and I encourage everyone listening right now to go check it out. It's titled Monk and Little Monk's Jungle Adventure. This is written by Julie Bill. This is published by Covenant Books, and you can get it everywhere. You can go to Amazon, you can go to Barnes & Noble, get on iTunes, or walk down the street to your local bookshop, and you'll find it there. Jolie, thanks again for joining me and telling me about Monk and Little Monk. I hope we get to talk again sometime. Thanks a lot, Corey. I appreciate it. Be careful. That's the name of the new book in stores now, written by Nancy Cole. We're going to talk all about that book because Nancy is right here with me now, sitting right next to me here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Nancy, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you. So glad to be here, too. I appreciate your time. Nancy, can you tell me what readers are in store for when they open up Be Careful? Well, Be Careful illustrates a children's song that I learned when I was a child. And because it has both notes and words, you can read it or you can sing it. Each verse kind of repeats itself other than a couple words, so it's easy to read. And it illustrates the importance of what you hear, what you see, what you say, what you do, and where you go. Hmm. Nancy, what sparked this idea? How are you inspired to start writing this? As a nurse, I cared for a lot of infants and children most of my career. And my husband and I ran a large daycare, which was another opportunity to care for the needs of children. Hmm. And then my husband passed away about five years ago this month. I'm sorry. He had leukemia caused by Agent Orange in his service in Vietnam. We were married for 47 years, and I felt lost, kind of. I don't know what to do with myself. And one night, I just kind of prayed. I said, okay, what do I do now, you know? And I felt like God just said to me, write a book that illustrates the song, Be Careful Little Hands What You Do. And now that you have this book out there, Nancy, what's the most rewarding aspect now of you being a published author? This is out there for the world. I think one of the really important things for me was I just wanted to give my grandchildren a legacy, something that they could say, this is from grandma. Mm -hmm. And so I gave them each a book. I wrote in each book the wonderful character qualities that I see in them. And for me, it's a legacy that they will read, be careful to their children and to their grandchildren. Another reward was a friend of mine sent me a video of her granddaughter singing the song. And she's like four years old. It was just the sweetest thing. That is sweet. And in fact, let's treat the listeners out there right now to a little bit of that song, if that's all right with you. That would be great. Be 
Well, Nancy, that was certainly touching. About how long did this book take you? Once you decided to sit down, start writing it, clear up until it got published? I'd say it took eight months to create it and two months of editing. I don't consider myself an artist at all. And so I did a lot of erasing. (laughs) (laughs) So it was 10, 11 months to actually get it published. But like I said, I did some editing. I, I didn't like a picture, so then I'd redo it. And so it took a little time. Yeah. And it's an awful lot of work to do it. So there's nothing like seeing the fruits of your labor, that finished product. When that day came, Nancy, and you opened up that box that came in the mail, and you got to pull out that book for the first time and touch this thing. What was that moment like? Uh, I think I was grateful. Mm. Grateful that I was able to accomplish something that will linger on. It will go on after I'm gone. I sure didn't know what I was doing, that's for (laughs) sure. (laughs) Have you given any thought to maybe another book, writing more in the future? Actually, I have started one more, another children's book in progress. Got quite a bit done on it, actually. It's another kind of an illustrated type book, a lot of pictures. And then I have two others in my mind (laughs) that I keep going (laughs) over. So we'll see. I know that you learn an awful lot along the way of publishing for the first time and writing a whole book, getting the illustrations done. Nancy, do you have any words of wisdom, something you picked up along the way that you could pass on to authors who are just starting out? I think when you are drawn to write something and it's on your heart and you can't get it off your mind, go for it. That's my advice. Just go for it. (laughs) That's great advice. And I know a lot of readers are going to be touched by this book. I encourage you to go check it out. The title is Be Careful. It's written by Nancy Cole. It's published by Covenant Books. And you can grab it up anywhere. Of course, Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Nancy, it's been great talking with you tonight, having you on the show and learning all about Be Careful and hearing that song as well. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. Oh, I appreciate the opportunity so much. Thank you. Spiritual Casualties, a loving outreach to hurting Christians and a call to action for the church. That's a book. It's out in stores now, written by Tom Schussler. Tom is sitting here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. We're going to talk all about the book. Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Tom, what can readers find when they open up Spiritual Casualties? Well, The book is written to two basic audiences. The first is to hurting Christians, and the second is to people who may want to reach out and help hurting Christians. It makes a case for spiritual warfare and how it can affect Christians and how that can all bring serious problems to our life. And I love the tone that you set, Tom, straight from the title, A Loving Outreach to Hurting Christians, because I think sometimes the outreach can come across a little abrasive. Well, yes. I think that it's important that people understand that there are problems in life. It can affect Christians as well as anybody else, that we are, in a sense, very often direct targets of the enemy because of our faith. Mm. And I think it's important that people be willing to talk about their hurts, 
and other people be willing to reach out and try to help hurting Christians. Tom, what inspired you to write this? Uh, Can you go back and think about when you got the idea to sit down and start writing? Well, during my walk with the Lord, you know, I ran into a lot of, you know, problems along the way. And a lot of times you could say I was a spiritual casualty. And it made me realize that there were a lot of other hurting Christians. And I wanted to use both my experience and biblical truth to reach out to them, to make them realize that it's not a question of their faith. It is not a question that they've done something sinful, that spiritual uh, spiritual warfare, I should say, is very real, and we are subject to it, and sometimes we all need help. How long did this take you, Tom, from when you sat down, started writing it, clear up until you got it published? About seven years. And I'm sad to say that because a lot of challenges delayed me along the way. I wish I could have gotten it done sooner. Well, the most important thing is that you stuck it out and you finished it. You got it published. So, Tom, can you tell me about that day when you got the first physical copy in? You got to hold your book for the first time. What was that like for you? Well, there's a great deal of satisfaction and, you know, a great deal of relief because it was finally done because it's not just the writing of the book. It is also that you go through the editing process and make corrections and all that. And what are the chances that you'll be writing more? Maybe a follow-up to Spiritual Casualties or something else in the future? I'm considering two books. One of them is a book of short stories that's meant to be light reading for believers. Hmm. But all the stories will incorporate Christian values. The other is sort of a book of philosophy that offers food for thought on various topics. Hmm. Tom, what does your writing background look like? Have you done much writing before this, before you started publishing? I have a few papers that were published by the Northeast Decision Sciences Institute, but those were academic papers, and they were, you know, mostly for other academics. Yeah, so something like this was a little bit different. So what did you find the most challenging aspect of things? Was it the writing of it or was it the publishing of it? It's hard to really nail down any one thing. The one thing that I was most concerned with, and and I think it took me a bit of extra time, is finding all the possible aspects of spiritual warfare and all the things that may bring doubt into the mind of a Christian if they're hurting. I think a lot of people are going to get a lot from this book. A lot of people will be blessed. And I encourage my listeners to go check it out. The title is Spiritual Casualties, A Loving Outreach to Hurting Christians and a Call to Action for the Church. This is written by Tom Schusler. It's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can buy this one anywhere, like on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes and also down the street at your local bookshop. And Tom, thank you again for coming on the show and telling me about your work. I had a good time chatting with you tonight. Thank you very much for having me. Sitting right by me here now at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Margaret Pogen. Margaret, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Well, it's really exciting. You have a new book out. It's titled Faith, Hope, and Joy, The Weapons on Our Belt of Truth. So, Margaret, can you tell me what this book's all about? 
Well, this book was started actually when my husband and I were preaching to the persecuted church in India. When I got home, I started, you know, God just kept highlighting scripture to me. And pretty soon I had a huge pile of little scraps of paper with notes on it and stuff. And I realized God was giving me basically the book. So I started writing it because I wanted to share the things that I have learned over the years and the experiences that I have walked through to help other people and to encourage them to not give up and to realize how much God loves them and how many tools that we don't even think of as tools that he has given us to fight the enemy so that we can be victorious. When I first got saved, I got kind of shoved into the deep end of the pool and wound up in a lot of spiritual warfare fairly quickly and had no idea what I was doing. But fortunately, God gave me a couple of people that mentored me sort of through that time period. And if anybody can learn anything from the things I've gone through, I would be glad to share them and help somebody else gain the victory. Were you writing for a certain group of readers here, Margaret? Originally, I was writing for the pastors in the persecuted church because a lot of them don't have full access to the Bible. Hmm. Some of them don't even have a Bible. And so the book is kind of packed with a lot of scripture so that I can verify and prove what I'm saying to them. Then it kind of morphed into anybody that's discouraged. And anybody that's praying has been praying for a long time for something to happen. And they get discouraged because it seems like their prayers are hitting a brass heaven over them and just falling down to the ground. And I want to just say, don't quit. You know? mm. Sounds like something like this might have taken you a long time to put together, Margaret. Was that the case? The book itself, to write it, was actually the easiest part. Like I said, I had the scraps of paper building up for probably a year, and then when I sat down and organized it on the dining room table, it fell pretty much into the chapters pretty quickly. And I think it took me maybe three to five days per chapter to write it. Hmm. And then, of course, the tedious job of proofreading it over and over and <laughs> over and over again. And handing it to some friends to read it and give me their feedback and a couple pastors and and the hardest part was actually getting it published. Mm. I couldn't get it published for years and years because I wrote it in 2013, 2014 area and just got it finally published last year. I discovered Covenant Books and they submitted it to them and they agreed to publish it. This book was a long time coming, Margaret. What was it like when you finally got that first physical copy and you finally got to hold this thing for the first time? It was just unbelievable. It was awesome. When they agreed to publish it, I cried because all the years I had sent it off to publishers in the past, even had some friends who had published books some pastors tell me, call this company. I've already talked to them. And then I just would get nothing from them. I mean, really, it was like every single door was closed and I would lose sleep at night over it. I got I to gotta get this book published, but it's all in God's timing. Would you do it again, Margaret? Do you think you'll be writing more in the future? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I have a couple ideas rolling around in my head, but I don't know how I'd make them into a book at this point in time. But yeah, I would do it again. I like the process. What would you tell the people listening out there who are just starting out in writing and publishing? What advice could you give them? Be humble. <laughs> Take feedback. Let pride of authorship die fairly fast, you know, and give it to friends and say, be honest with me you know, give me feedback. And, you know, you can accept or reject the feedback after you get it. But if you give it to a wide slice of your friends, then you're probably going to get some good feedback out of that as to what they think of the book or, you know, what how you can improve it and things like that. You know, Bible says plans succeed with the counsel of many. So 
Well, I know a lot of readers out there are going to get a lot out of this book. It's going to bless a lot of people. So I encourage my listeners to go and check this out. It's titled Faith, Hope, and Joy, The Weapons on Our Belt of Truth. This is written by Margaret Pogen, and it's published by Covenant Books. And of course, you can get it everywhere, like at Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Margaret, I really enjoyed having you on the show tonight. Thank you again for joining me. Well, thank you for inviting me. It was fun. There's a new book in stores written by Francis Xavier. It's titled Two Different Worlds. And right now at the Reader House Author Roundtable, we're going to talk all about it. Francis is right here with me. Francis, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Well, what will readers find, Francis, when they open up Two Different Worlds? It's actually almost like a booklet. I had done this here with just some ideas in mind, and I assumed they would let me expand on it, but it gives me the gist of the whole story of uh, a person living two different lives. Hmm. Francis, what kinds of readers were you speaking to here? Who do you think would be most into it? Well, the book is basically like a life story, like, a, I'd say, criminal activity. So people are always uh, interested in things like uh, mob movies and mm. things like that. So it would be geared to people interested in the uh, crime drama. So what sparked you to write this, Francis? Where did you get this idea? Well, I just based it on living experience, you know, with the family growing up and friends in the family growing up and seeing these people working at one job and working in another world, another, another lifestyle. Wow. So did this take you a long time to write or did it come out pretty quickly? Actually, uh, I just wrote, like I said, it was basically family life experience. It probably took me about five weeks. Have you ever done anything like this before, Francis? Have you ever written or published? Never published anything before, and this was the first time writing it. It was just basically flowed because uh, I just put general life experience that I had been subjected to, and I just let it run. You know, I wrote it out from the beginning to my later years. Hmm. When it came to publishing the book, Francis, did you find it challenging or did it come pretty easy? It came pretty easy. Uh, you know, I did a lot of re-editing. In the end, the publisher, you know, they did all the areas of grammatical finesse. Mm. They uh, put the paragraphs, they corrected a few spelling errors and how to uh, format it. But other than that, it just was everything I wrote in there was basically stayed the same uh, the way they took care of it. They just cleaned it up. I can imagine it was a pretty special moment for you, Francis, when you got the book and you got, actually got to hold this for the first time and look at it. What was that like for you? Actually, it was pretty amazing because, like I said, these stories that were in there were things that I had experienced and stories that I told, you know, we've talked about friends of ours, talking about the various things in the book and then putting, as everybody says, you know, the joke was, well, why don't you write a book about it? And <laughs> one day I just said, you know what, maybe I will. And I did it basically for myself. It wasn't really looking to uh, become a sequel to The Godfather. It was just <laughs> basically uh, write what I did. And I remembered what my English teacher said when I was in high school. She said, if you ever write anything, you know, write a book. She says, write about what you know. Mm. So I said, yeah, I'll take that advice. And all my friends saying, write a book. And I did. What are the chances you'll write more in the future, do you think? A friend of mine, he wrote a book, Dino. He's from Greece. And he wrote his life experiences coming here. 
and I met Dino years ago. His book was 11 Days to America, I believe it was. His name is Dino Pavlou, P-A-V-L-O-U. And he was involved in that the restaurant in the city, Westons. He was good friends with Sinatra and oh, wow. Anthony Quinn and all those people. The first time I met him, the experience was, you know, I said, oh, you're Greek? He said, yeah. He says, why? I said, oh. I said, well, you mean Greek like the guy in Zorba, the Greek, Anthony Quinn? He goes, I got to tell you a funny story. He says, Anthony Quinn has got no Greek blood in him whatsoever. He was Irish, Mexican or something. I was like, get out of here. <laughs> so you learn something. I was like, well, I'm amazed. Wow. I know a lot of people are really going to love this story, and I encourage my listeners to go check it out. This is titled Two Different Worlds. It's written by Francis Xavier. It's published by Newman Springs Publishing. Of course, you can get it everywhere like Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Francis, thank you again for your time tonight telling me about your story and about Two Different Worlds. I had a good time talking with you. Same here. My pleasure. I thank you very much for uh, helping me get the uh, book out there. You have a good day. There's a new exciting novel in stores now. It's written by Joshua Martin. It's called Vigilante Blood. I'm really happy that Josh is sitting right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. We're going to talk all about the book. Josh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Josh, can you tell me all about Vigilante Blood? What can readers expect here? Oh, absolutely. So it takes place in a small town, and it's not exactly what you would assume it would be. You know, everybody thinks small town, oh, it must be low crime and very comfortable living. The comfortable living, yes, but the low crime, no. There is a secret organization that's been pulling the strings of the whole entire community for decades. And not only that, there are two serial killers on the loose wreaking havoc. Wow, Josh, you got to tell me, how did the idea for this book come about? So it's a continuation of my first book, Blood Letters. Hmm. And in this book, I really wanted to see what would happen if I put my main character, Lynn Poker, in a scenario where she would have to compromise her values and her beliefs on the hopes of maybe getting her happy ending. So all of this kind of was swirling around in my head, and I thought, you know, I'd be very entertained. <laughs> Josh, would you say that fans of the crime thriller would be big fans of your book? I would think so. There's also elements of mystery and suspense. So if you're looking for a mystery, there's this. And, you know, there's also the suspense and the thriller. So there's a little bit of everything in it. There's also some romance. So you mentioned this was the continuation of your first book, Josh. Do you have plans for another after this? Is the story going to go on? Oh, yes, yes. I'm not done with my characters yet. There are several adventures I'd like them to go on. But the third book is definitely going to be a follow-up. It's going to follow our main character to see if she really does get her happy ending. So I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, you should be. Josh, about how long does it take you to write a novel like this and then put it through all those publishing processes? So it took me about a year. I'll walk you a little bit through my process. So I write everything down first because... I never know if I'm going to keep it that way or not. So once I've done handwriting it, I go ahead and I type it all. And that's when I really do my heavy editing and my reviewing. And, well, maybe I'll kill off this character. Maybe I'll save this character. And then I give it to my very, very best friend. And she and I go over it. And she's like, well, you know, there's some things that you could change here. You know, definitely work on your editing and everything. It's a really fun process. 
sometimes it's longer than that. I think with my first book, it took me about two years just mm. because I was trying to figure the flow of everything. But this second book, Vigilante Blood, definitely went a lot smoother, I feel. Hmm. I love that you hand write out your first draft. When you go to do that, do you have the whole story outlined in your head? Do you know how everything's going to go from beginning to end? Or do you start writing and just see kind of where it goes? I kind of let the characters lead me, as silly mm. as that sounds. I don't always have, you know, an idea set in stone. Like, I didn't go in planning on having a detective character at all, because as much as I enjoy watching those types of shows, I'm really not great at <laughs> putting puzzles together. <laughs> so it was kind of a fun experience to really delve in with this character. It, it wasn't necessarily me. It was the character. Mm. And then when you throw serial killers into the mix, it gets even more interesting because you have to do the research and you have to you know, kind of see, all right, what would my character do if this was happening? And so it's definitely a journey. Mm, absolutely. Josh, did you find the writing part more challenging or the publishing part more challenging? Definitely the publishing part. Mm. <laughs> no one really prepares you for the interaction of, well, I don't really have an agent. I just kind of submit to various publishers and hope that they pick me. And I'm very grateful and blessed that, you know, I have been chosen twice, but you have to really weed through all of the possibilities mm -hmm. because not everyone is up front with you. There's sometimes hidden costs and hidden fees, and then you have to figure out how you're going to balance your budget. So it's definitely a learning curve. <laughs> well, I encourage my listeners to go check this book out. It's bound to be really exciting. It's titled Vigilante Blood, written by Joshua Martin, published by Fulton Books and available everywhere like Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Josh, thank you again for coming on the show, telling me about Vigilante Blood and everything else you got going on. I had a good time talking with you tonight. Thank you so much, Corey. I really enjoyed myself. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first.